0: Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, we've been working through this chapter over the last uh, few weeks. And I don't normally do that. You know, slow down and bog down in a chapter. But really been enjoying this one. And so this morning we're going to wrap up 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Just the last couple verses. And as we've been digging into this chapter, the discussion has been on uh, ministry. The ministry that we have received as believers from the Lord Jesus Christ. This new testament, new covenant ministry, the ministry of the spirit. And we've been talking about the idea that that ministry is not something that is limited to the pulpit. That is limited to Sunday or limited to the work of paid staff. But ministry is something that is shared by the body of Christ. The church is about the only organization that exists uh, for the purposes of those who are not a part of it. uh, For this world. You are the light of the world. And that mandate is not something that we took on ourselves as we have seen in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But it's something that we have received by the the mercy of God. We have received this ministry and Paul has been saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So we do not lose heart. And so, uh, you know, throughout the chapter, we've seen some keys to fruitful ministry. But, you know, as you come towards the end of this chapter, I would say this. Who's kidding who? You know, you, you talk about ministry and success in ministry and being fruitful in ministry. But the fact of the matter is this. Being an ambassador for Christ is no easy task, is it? You know, the mission, should you choose to accept it? is glorious, it's superior to the Old Covenant, it's the ministry of the Spirit, which is superior to the law and all these things. But that doesn't mean it's easy. It's war. You've been sent into battle. And so I might say, you know, that these last couple verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 are about finding strength for the battle. So let's check it out. Let's read verse 17 and 18 from chapter 4. It says this. for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. (laughs) Paul talks about light momentary affliction And I would ask you this this morning as we come to God's word. Have you felt the affliction that comes with serving Christ? Have you felt the affliction that comes with serving Christ? You know, all too often we seek to sell the gospel uh, without helping a person consider the cost involved in following Jesus Christ. You know, following Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior, Responding to God's grace expressed through his son Jesus was easily at best the greatest decision I ever made in my life. And I know that you, you could say that as well too. I, I No regrets ever in the choice to follow Jesus Christ. And you know if, if you don't know Jesus Christ and if you don't know for certain that your sins are forgiven... You know, you need to know this morning that you can have a relationship with your father in heaven, the creator of the universe through his son, Jesus Christ. He died for you. He loves you. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants you to know in your heart with certainty that you can spend eternity with him. He's designed to heaven as a place for you. And you know, I would implore you and encourage you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You know, turn from your sin. And turn in faith to Jesus Christ. And he will save you. And you know the scripture tells us. And our experience for those who have turned to follow Christ. Is this. That the benefits of following Jesus are immeasurable. You really can't measure them. There's nothing in the world. That I would say compares to the offer of his peace. Which transcends all understanding. When he guards your heart and your mind. And he brings his presence into your life. And if it it was just for the peace that the presence of Jesus Christ brings, then following him, if it was just for the peace, then following him is worth it. But there's so much more. There are countless other gifts that come with giving your life, your life to Jesus. And it takes a lifetime just to, to scratch the surface, the surface of the depth and weight of all that you receive in Christ when you follow him. But that said, One of the things we often don't mention is affliction. The affliction that comes with following Christ. Have you felt it? The affliction in having received a ministry like we've been talking about through 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Well, Paul can call it light, and he can call it momentary, but nevertheless, it is an affliction. There is an affliction that comes with serving Christ. You know what I'm talking about? Do you know what I'm talking about? Because as a Christian, if you call yourself a Christian, it's important that you understand affliction. And if you don't sense the affliction that comes with following Christ, then it's time that you take a hard look in the mirror in regards to your faith. See, James said this, anyone who listens to the word of God, but does not do what it says is like a man who looks in the mirror and forgets what he looks like. And I would encourage you, if you don't sense the affliction of following Christ then it's time you look in the mirror again and evaluate your faith. Our mirror is the word of God. It reveals the spiritual things of your heart. It reflects back the good stuff. And then it reflects back the stuff we don't really want to see either. The receding hairline. <laughs> the hair growing out of places where hair's not supposed to grow out of, you know. I was thinking, you know, have you ever looked in the mirror and gone into the washroom and discovered that you've got a cliffhanger going on? <laughs> you can laugh, it's okay. You know, and you think, how long was that thing hanging there and how come nobody ever said anything to me? <laughs> it's happened to every one of us. They were distracted by from everything that I said, because that thing was there. See, the word is our mirror and it reveals the pimples and the zits of human rebellion and the spiritual boogers. Never thought of spiritual boogers before, but the word reveals it. The word is our mirror. And one of the things you should see when you look in the word of God as your mirror, it needs to reflect back to you. Affliction. You might be asking yourself, seriously? (laughs) Seriously? And the answer is yes. It needs to reflect back affliction. And we ought to examine ourselves to see whether we are in the faith and test ourselves. And you know, I think what Paul is talking about here is one of the best ways to examine your faith. When Paul talks about Light momentary affliction. He's talking about the pressing that comes on your life from following Jesus Christ. About pressure. About the pressing together. I think of a wine press in my mind when I think of the idea of affliction. The pressing. You see, there's an inner pressure and affliction that comes with following Jesus. And it takes different forms. But let me give you some examples. A burden for the lost. The inner tension that eats at you because people that you know and love and care about are dead in their sin and are lost and are going to spend an eternity separated from God if they do not come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Oh, that afflicts the heart of the Christian. Some of you know the strain of living in a home where no one else is saved. And and serving Jesus, you know, to say a prayer before a meal or to leave your Bible out in the open on a table or where someone else might see it brings inner affliction. Maybe it's the battle of wanting to live a holy and integral life and wrestling with your own sin and struggling for Christian character and the affliction of that feeling. A Friday afternoon. I went and I visited my grandpa. He's 90 years old. And we had a great time. And he talked, began to talk about uh, the heritage. And the effect that the gospel has left upon our family. And as he did. He began to share the inner affliction of a father. Who has a son not serving Jesus Christ. And, you know, it was just kind of wild to watch grandpa as he began to say to me, I wonder if it's something I did wrong. I wonder if there's something I could have done different. You know, I can't say anything anymore in that relationship and all I can do is pray. See, he's afflicted at the burden of knowing a child is not right with God. See, there is an affliction that that comes from sensing you don't fit in any longer where you used to fit in. The humor doesn't scratch your funny bone anymore. The language leaves you feeling like you need a shower. The hurt of having someone use the name of Jesus as a cuss word. See, there's an affliction that comes from following Jesus Christ. And Paul says, though, it's light and it's momentary. And I say, really, Paul? <laughs> light? There seems to be nothing light about it. <laughs> Maybe it's light for you, Paul, but for the rest of us, it's ministry zapping. It zaps the power of evangelism, it feels like. It, it sucks the life out of me and sometimes leave me discouraged and wanting. Light, momentary affliction? That's what you want to call it, Paul? But remember the man who dared to utter those words. Because 2 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us about his efforts for the gospel. He says this. With far greater labors. Far more imprisonments. With countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys. And danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and thirst and hunger without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure, he says, on me of anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? And you, know, you read that and you recognize Paul is one of the great heroes of the faith. To me, I, leave, I read that list and I say, that's not light afflictions. What are you talking about, Paul? How can you talk about this life being light, momentary afflictions? You know, reading his list of afflictions puts my internal struggles into perspective. Because you know, I haven't, I haven't experienced the, the physical afflictions. You know, his list puts all of our afflictions into perspective. But what this tells me is this. Christian, affliction is necessary. Affliction is necessary. Jesus said this. Matthew chapter 11. Come to me all who labor. And are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. See Jesus promised that those who come to him. To them he would give rest. Rest for the soul. But then it's true. He said he would put his yoke upon us. He would yoke us to himself. Oh, he says it's easy and it's a light burden, but nevertheless, it is a yoke. And nevertheless, the yoke comes with a burden, a plow to pull. And you know, I guess work wise for the kingdom and in ministry, all goes well when we pull not against the one that we're yoked to, when we pull with Jesus. But there are times when in my life I pull in the other direction and I resist. And I would say affliction is necessary. And here's why. This is the very heart of what Paul is talking about. Because there is no resurrection. If there is no death. There is no resurrection. If there is no death, there is no resurrection power. There is no manifest life of Christ. Unless I pick up my cross to follow Jesus. Until in whatever it is, I have my Golgotha. See, affliction tells you that you are alive for Christ. Affliction demonstrates that salvation is real. I mean, what do you call a person with no concern for the spiritual condition of the lost? What do you call a person who lives in the same home as lost people and doesn't feel burden and doesn't feel tension? What do you call a person without any struggle against sin Or temptation. Or for holiness. What do you call a person who senses no burden at the reality. One of their children is spiritually lost. What do you call a believer not bothered. When Jesus name is used as a cuss word. Or there's dirty language or off colored jokes. Grimacing not not in judgment. But in hurt as Jesus name is dragged through the dirt. See, church, there is a danger that as we serve Christ and as we ca- count the cost of affliction that as time goes by, that the day comes when we look in the mirror and we see affliction and we opt out. We say the cost is too much. The price is too great. It's too painful. There's too much work. It's too dangerous. And we opt out of the crucified life. And when that happens, the, the heart for the lost grows cold. The desire for a holy life disappears. Or it moves down the priority list. Maybe not intentionally, but we lose the desire to fight. Language slides in a different direction. Maybe even in the name of grace. Even the burden for your loved ones, maybe your own children and their salvation takes a back seat. See, there is a cost to carrying the cross. And I would ask you this morning to weigh your heart and ask yourself, did you make the decision that the cost was too high and abandon your mission? Did you make the decision that the cost was too high and abandon your mission, soldier? I don't ask that question to take you into the custody of guilt or throw you into the prison of condemnation, but to remind you of the grace of God, which will freshly equip you to serve God with strength in the battle. Affliction reminds you of the dangers of spiritual battle. And Paul says it's light and it's momentary. The word momentary really is key. It's just for a moment. That's what he's saying. I mean, in light of eternity, as long and arduous as it seems right now, it's just a moment, a blink of an eye, the passing of a flower. And as heavy as these light afflictions might seem to us right now, Paul says they're actually preparing us for eternity. Isn't that awesome? They're preparing us for eternity. Literally, they're working on your behalf, the afflictions. They're working for you and they are fashioning you and shaping you for eternity. You know, I can't help but think of the beach around here as I think about that and the Sunshine Coast and our beaches with like secret beach covered in these little stones. And day after day after day, the waves roll in on those stones. Sometimes they're soft waves and they gently lap the shore and the stones are stirred. But other times they, they thunder in and they pound those stones and they work them and work them and smooth them and take off the edges and toss them and turn them until one day someone scouring the beach finds the smooth stone and says, this one's worth keeping, I'm taking it home. That's affliction. That is the pressure. But affliction is working for you, even when it seems like it's working against you. See, Paul actually starts to try and compare this light momentary affliction to the eternal weight of glory. But he says, I can't, I can't compare it. There is no comparison. He doesn't even try. It is beyond comparison to weigh on the scales, the light Momentary affliction of this life versus the the eternal weight of glory that will be ours. It's beyond comparison, beyond measure. It makes me think of the story of David and Jonathan and that famous story where you recall that Saul had tried to take David's life. And so David said, I can't go to the feast. Your your dad's going to try and kill me, Jonathan. He's going to try and kill me. And so Jonathan and David come to this agreement that they're going to find a way to measure the response of Saul. And so he says, you skip the dinner. I'll go to dinner when dad asks and sees the empty seat. However, he responds, I'll let you know. And if it's light and it's easy, I'll go out to the field where I practice my archery and I'll shoot the arrow short and you'll know it's all good. And if he loses it, I'll shoot it far. And then you'll know it's dangerous. Well, you know the story. When Saul saw that David was missing, he accused Jonathan of siding with David over his own father. And he tried to kill Jonathan. He tried to throw a spear through his own son. And so Jonathan went out to that field to signal David. And he pulled back the bow. And he shot that thing as far as he possibly could. Jonathan recognized that the conflict between Saul and David which he thought was small was actually immeasurably large and the light momentary affliction that you feel cannot be measured in terms of the eternal weight of glory. And I'm not even going to try to compare them for you, but what I will say is this. Did you know that glory has a weight to it? That's kind of a cool thought. You know, in eternity, the majesty of the glory of God that will be revealed in us. Has physical weight to it. Substance. You know the Old Testament pictures the glory of God as a cloud. But in eternity we're talking about something that has even far more substance than a cloud. There's weight involved with what you will carry in eternity. In fact it's, it's, interest, it's interesting that the Greek word for weight. Carries a very similar meaning, but it's a totally different word to the Greek word for affliction in the same verse. It's a different word, but a similar meaning weight and weight and affliction. Remember that I said that the word translated affliction means pressing or pressing together or being under pressure, kind of like a wine press. Well, in Greek, the word translated weight means pressing on one that demands their resources. Physically and spiritually. See in heaven the weight and substance of glory is going to put pressure on you. And right now God is training you to hold that weight. He is training you. Do you know what I think the, the substance of God's glory will demand from you in heaven? As it pressures, puts pressure on you. You know what I think is going to come out? Worship. That's why heaven's about worship. You can't help but have it come out of you as the weight of God's glory comes on your life. You won't be able to help yourself. Worship will come out of you like you only ever dreamed it would come out of you. Like an artist, artist inspired to paint a masterpiece or like Mozart on steroids. (laughs) Ever heard Andy do a guitar solo? Wait till he gets to heaven. Okay, wait till he gets to heaven. You know, It's wonderful. It's, it's wonderful to think about that until you hit the daily grind of living for Jesus. What Paul calls the light momentary affliction, which for us feels like tonnage of never ending affliction. <laughs> I asked myself what enabled Paul to keep this healthy, healthy perspective. Because at times, you know, far less than what he ever experienced sends me into a tailspin. How did he keep his perspective? Well, a few things from this chapter that we've been working through. Look at verse 13. It says this, since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed. And so I spoke. We also believe. And so we also speak. One of the things that helped Paul keep his perspective in the face of affliction was this, the spirit of faith, the spirit of faith. Corey Ten Boom said that that faith is like radar which sees through the fog. Faith is like radar which sees through the fog the reality of things at a distance that the human eye cannot see. Did you see the fog on the water this morning? It was stunningly gorgeous. Anybody that's got a view this way, it was beautiful. When we moved back to the Sunshine Coast in the winter of 2004, Lisa and I, Secured a little cottage right on the beach at Langdale. It was awesome. Isabella wasn't born yet. We just had the two boys. And uh, for five months, we lived right on the beach. And I had never lived in Langdale. And so I, I, I never thought I'd like it, but I actually began to like watching the ferry come in and out. I'm like, oh, oh, it's 1220. Mm. Oh, 220. Boy, I didn't get anything done. <laughs> Whatever. And so... Um, we lived right on the beach at the north side of the ferry. And one of the things that I began to love was a morning like today, a winter morning where the fog rolls in. It's clear and it's sunny up high, but the fog is on the water. And the ferry did something that I'd never noticed all the years I've ridden the ferry. It, blowed, it blew its fog horn in, in the fog. How did I know that there was a ferry out there in the midst of the fog? Well, I heard it coming because of the horn. See, the ferry has radar and it can see through the fog and it sounds its fog horn to communicate to all around that it's coming and it sees clearly where it's going, even in the midst of fog. See, faith is like radar. Radar. Which sees through the fog the reality of things at a distance that the human eye cannot see. Faith speaks. You know, it speaks in the midst of life's fog, and it says, I have my sight set on Jesus Christ. Faith communicates, and the life of faith communicates trust in Jesus Christ, even in the face of the storm, even in the face of fog. Do you trust Jesus? Do you trust Jesus in the face of your affliction? And you know, you should tell someone. That's what faith does. I trust Jesus in the face of this affliction. You know, my dear old grandpa, as we were visiting on Friday, was uh, telling me about when grandma came to faith. He had received Jesus as his Lord and Savior a few years earlier, taking the kids to Sunday school. Grandma hadn't made a commitment. And one day she was out the window and she saw the men, two men coming down the street and they were visiting home to home to home. And then she watched them because they skipped a bunch of houses and they came kitty corner across the intersection right to her house and knocked at the door. And Grandpa dropped the word door, or dropped the phrase door-to-door evangelism, how they shared Jesus Christ with Grandma. And she said, if I can have what my husband has, then I want it. And she surrendered her life to Christ with those, those two men. And Eli was sitting beside me and he piped up and he said, what is door-to-door evangelism? And I thought to myself, thank goodness, it's something of a bygone age. <laughs> but that was my flesh thinking because I'm sure glad that those men went to the, my grandparents' home, told my grandma about Jesus. They were from 45th Tabernacle in Vancouver. But grandpa began to explain to Eli what door to door evangelism was and that how after someone makes a decision for Christ, you should tell them that they should go and tell someone. I mean, think about it. Salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ and faith speaks faith in the midst of life's fog grabs a hold of God's promise and it speaks its trust in the Lord's faithfulness to that which he has promised. Faith speaks. Do you know where you're going? Is your radar set on Jesus Christ and on eternity? Then speak it. Tell somebody. Paul kept his perspective by the spirit of faith. But another thing that helped keep Paul's perspective is in verse 14. He says this. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you. Into his presence. Paul hoped in the resurrection. He believed in the resurrection from the dead. Confident in it. That the perishable will be raised imperishable. What else kept Paul's perspective? It's in verse 15. He says this. For it is all for your sake. So that grace extends to more and more people. Sorry. As grace extends to more and more people it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. I would say this. Another thing that helped Paul was the outward ministry of grace in his life. You know, there's an inward ministry of God's grace where he ministers his grace to you. But there is also an outward ministry of grace where God by his spirit ministers his grace through you to other people. Are you struggling In the face of light momentary affliction. Quit navel gazing Christian. The planet does not turn on the orbit of me. Or you. See a self-absorbed Christian is one that has lost perspective. God doesn't just want to minister his grace to you. He desires to minister his grace through you. And maybe your affliction was never about you but about the ministry of grace through your life. See, those are things that will help you keep your perspective where it needs to be. But my question is this. If those are things that help me keep perspective, what are things that cause me to lose perspective? Well, let's read the text here again. Verse 17 and 18. It says this. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now in verse 18, Paul talks a lot about um, our sight. That we look with our eyes and we see things seen and things unseen. And when he talks about looking, he's talking about, you know, he's speaking of the direction of our vision. One of the funniest things in my house, one of the fun, and Lisa will attest to this. One of the funniest things in our house to do is to talk to Eli and say, Eli, look me in the eyes. He starts doing this. His head starts waving. He can't look straight. It's like, Eli, look me in the eyes. And the head swirls in a turn because it's usually a discipline thing, right? Eli, look me in the eyes. And finally, you get him. And you know that you have his attention when he is looking you in the eyes. See, the way we look shows the direction of our vision. When Paul talks about looking, he's talking about eyes that are fixed and that contemplate with the mind. They apply, they're applying mental consideration. And this is sort of strange to think about it, but Paul says with our eyes, we can, see, we can actually see two things, Christians. We can see things seen, and we can see unseen things. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I like that. Your eyes can see unseen things. Yesterday, I cruised over to Georgia Beach, and I was just praying and talking with the Lord, and, it was starting to clear up. It was starting to get beautiful for a day like today. The rain had stopped. The clouds hadn't gone, but they were clearing. They were starting to clear. And from Georgia Beach, I looked south down the Strait, And the visibility was awesome. It was like, wow, this is weird that it's so, the visibility is incredible. I couldn't see Vancouver Island. It was, it was hidden behind uh, the clouds. But the ocean was beautiful and the clouds were stunning and they seemed to converge in the distance, just meet at this far off distant point. The visibility was awesome. And I looked at the water and I looked at the clouds and I looked with my mind, with my eyes. And what do you think I perceived? What do you think my mind perceived? You can answer. Oh, that was a good one, man. Back there. Eternity. Eternity. You know, I can't see. I can't see eternity. But I'm telling you, I saw eternity. And you know, you know what that's like. You know, the clouds in the ocean were beautiful. But God wanted me to see something unseen. He wanted to turn my heart towards eternity. And I saw something unseen. See, what causes us to lose perspective When we look at transient things, when we look at momentary transient things, when the Christian reaches the point where in the face of affliction, in the face of light, momentary affliction, they make the decision. I'm tossing in the towel. At this point, picking up my cross is too costly. At this point, I'm choosing to warm the bench and maybe spend my lifetime warming the bench. When a Christian reaches that point, it's because they have eye trouble, vision problems, myopic, nearsighted, because they've set their eyes on transient things. Our culture, Canadian culture, North American culture, is, is probably worse for this than any other culture in the world. Because of wealth, because of influence, we're so focused on transient, temporary things that we lose sight of the eternal. You know, last week, I, I, Lisa and I went for dinner at my friend, Pastor Jazz from CLA up the hill. We went and had dinner at his place and we were hanging out and yapping. And I said, hey, do you have any pulp, pulp mill workers in your church? Because we like have hardly any. Like there's just like two or three maybe. Maybe. Do you, do you have any pulp? Mill workers in your church? Jess says, No, man. There's like, there's like hardly any. And I said, you know, that's amazing that in a community that employs like maybe five, six hundred guys in this pulp mill, that there aren't more believers represented in the churches. Why do you think that is? And we began to yap about it. And about the comfort that wealth brings and the focus on transient things and temporary things and our culture of consumerism. See, comfort breeds myopic vision. Affluence breeds a culture that fixes its sights on transient things. And people of God be reminded this day that you are called to something greater than transient things temporary things and living in pursuit of them. It's important that we remember that at Christmas. I would say, what this, what the heck is possessing you, man? What has possessed your life? I was reading recently the story of uh, William Whiting Borden in 1894. It's the years of seven, the year, uh, the age of seven years old. He surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. Now, the thing about Borden was this. He's American. Born with blue blood in his veins, silver spoon in his mouth. That's him. Very wealthy, influential influential family. He came from a distinguished family. But as he grew, he had a heart for God and he sought the things of God and he felt that God had placed a call in his life for the mission field. And so as a young man, he pursued those things. He went to college. He got educated and he got a vision for the work of the inland China mission that Hudson Taylor had started. And so he set his heart to, to do ministry amongst the people of China. And on December 17th and 1912 at the age of 28, he sailed en route to China and he went through Egypt first. But while he was in Egypt, he developed meningitis and that spring around Easter time. He died. He never reached China. And the news of his death went around the world because his family was so influential and powerful in the U.S. Th- this young man at 28 died a millionaire in the early 1900s. And so he, the, the question went around the world was, uh, it, it was this, you know, why was his life cut short? Why was the life of this young man cut short? And at his funeral service, the preacher said this by some, the victory has to be won over poverty, but Borden won the victory over an environment of wealth. He felt that his life consisted not in the abundance of things that a man possesses, but in the abundance of things which possess the man. What is possessing you, dear Christian? What is possessing you? Because if it's transient things, you will lose your eternal perspective and your heart for eternity. See, Paul says this. We look not to things that are seen, transient, temporary, but to things that are unseen, eternal, eternal. Has the hope of eternity gripped your heart? You know that God's people are never more dangerous than when they begin to get a hope for heaven and for eternal things. And it seems to me that one of the things that has led to the impotence of the church in our age is a failure to live with an eternal perspective. You know, I grew up in an age where I was told that if you were too heavenly minded, you'd be no earthly good. And so you try to find the balance and work there. But I would say this. Whoever suggested to God's people that an eternal focus was the wrong focus is a liar. Whoever suggested to God's people that the eternal focus was the wrong place to set their gaze and to set their focus was a liar. So you are are the most earthly good when you are heavenly minded. And I would ask you, who told you otherwise? You know, A.W. Tozer used to say that the invisible world described in the Bible is the only real world. The invisible world described in the Bible is the only real world. And so are your eyes fixed on eternity? Are they fixed on Jesus Christ? Or are they set on transient things? Because how you wrestle through affliction will be determined. By where your eyes are set. Amen? I'm going to invite Marcus to come up here. And as he does, I want to encourage you to just take the time to weigh your own heart in this moment. At some point, did you decide that the cross was too costly? At some point, did you decide that the affliction was too much? Have you opted out of the mission? You're a minister. You are a minister. Have you opted out of the mission that Christ has for you? I don't say that to ask that to bring guilt and condemnation. I ask that to tell you that God's grace is fresh for you this morning and he will meet you on the bench and he'll put you back in the game if you let him touch your heart again and if you'll pick up your cross to follow him.